0: Welcome to Apostolic Perspectives, where the faith is raw, the exploits are radical, and the conversation is real. Prepare your life to be activated in the supernatural and your heart to be inspired to love, as your host, Mike Brewer, shares stories from around the world. Enjoy today's episode, and make sure to connect with us on all social media platforms. Hey and welcome to Apostolic Perspectives I have a question for you Are you stuck? Are you stuck in that miry clay that scripture talks about? If you are stuck or you're feeling extreme resistance in any way Today's a show that you don't want to miss So I am very, very excited to introduce to you For those of you that do not know Andrea Brewer This is my wife Andrea, say hi to everybody Hello So Andrea Andrea We've been together for a long time. We've lived on the mission field. We've planted churches. We've established ministries, children's homes, medical clinics, a little bit about this. But, Andrew, give a um, brief—it's hard to ask you to give a brief anything with uh, um, your—things that you've had to overcome in your life. But I want you to give a brief um, introduction to the people about when you were 15 years old, you went on your first mission trip.
1: Yeah, so um, age 15, I— had gotten involved at a youth group that was Pentecostal, which was very different from my Methodist upbringing and was filled with the Spirit, got very passionate for Jesus and was invited on my first international mission trip, went to the Bahamas, had a life-changing week of encounters with the Lord and knew that the Lord was calling me to serve as an international ministry and give my life for others, um, especially children around the world. And so I came back from that trip, completely changed, was a different person, I stood up in front of my church that Sunday night, and I announced my call into ministry and as a missionary, and God was calling me to the nations and to serve His people all around the world. And so it was a few hours later, I was home in bed, and I woke up to 106 fever, seizures, convulsions, was rushed to a local hospital, um, was given a preliminary diagnosis of HIV, Uh, which this was back in 2001. So things were very different. uh, And we did not know what we do now about HIV. And so I was terrified and was transferred to another hospital. By this point, I was paralyzed uh, from the waist down, couldn't walk, I was having internal bleeding, Uh, was on a liver transplant list, my liver was failing and was in an incredible amount of pain. Um, It took uh, a couple of weeks in the hospital, but finally uh, got a diagnosis of dengue hemorrhagic fever, which is also known as breakbone fever because it.
0: Guys, I just I, I got to jump in. Hold on, that was a whole <clears throat> that was a whole lot of things that was going on. You were 15 years old. You got back from yes. a mission trip. And I guess it was a Wednesday night or Sunday night. You get up and you tell the church you're called to be a missionary. Correct. And how many hours later do you wake up and having seizures?
1: Maybe four or five hours.
0: So guys, just for those of you that have a call of God, no matter where you're at in this journey, um, as, as most of you already know, there's extreme challenges that you're going to be hit with. But what was it, what was going through a 15-year-old's mind after announcing being called as a missionary and then find yourself in the hospital paralyzed?
1: Um, I was terrified. I I thought I'm going to die. Um and I remember even asking the Lord, I announced this call. I I I said yes to this call and here I am thinking I'm going to die in the most pain I've ever experienced in my entire life, also not knowing what it was and maybe possible HIV, which was a death sentence at that time.
0: So this was a a pretty big journey you going through that. I mean, How long was it till kind of life started to be normal again?
1: I feel that I lost six months of my life through this whole thing, which included my 16th birthday and some other major milestones. Um, I was placed on a homebound program from high school. Uh, It it was just heartbreaking. It completely took me out of life. I had to give up my dreams of playing softball in college um, and quit all athletics completely because I was in a wheelchair for a while. So it was terrifying.
0: So that that's a big, big challenge that you've overcome. Now, if we fast forward 23 years, you and I have been married a while, we've planted the well, we've lived in the nations and uh, ministered and taken people all over. Um, so tell us just a little bit about, um, just, just briefly introduce your intercessions and the prophetic and the insights that God gives you through intercession dreams and things like that.
1: So um, in 2012, after very difficult pregnancy. I gave birth to our youngest daughter, Aubrey and had heart surgery, major heart surgery about six weeks after she was born. Um, Came out of that surgery in third degree heart block, had to have a pacemaker put in eight weeks after that. And then was um, still on bed rest for months and recovery. And literally my dream of being in the nations was taken away in a moment. And I was told I could not go out of the U S for at least 18 months while I healed. So during that time, I was very angry with the Lord because I felt like I gave my life for this call. I'd faced death multiple times. I had sacrificed so much and it was just taken. And I felt that I had no purpose in the States or in America and and was just heartbroken. So I found myself at a conference just searching for God, searching to hear something. And I heard uh, Lou Engle give a message that changed my life. He talked about um, the missions movement and the prayer and intercession movement had to mobilize together. And he he spoke about the missions movement was the ground troops you send in. But in military warfare, you never send ground troops before you send in an airstrike. And that was the intercessors. That was the prayer warriors. And something gripped me when I heard him. And just before he got up, the Lord called me to do a 40-day fast, which was something I had never done I uh, never knew anyone that had done. It was a foreign concept, but I did. And I had incredible encounters for 40 days um, that changed my life. And during that time, I realized the call of intercession. Um, Lou also prophesied over me and shared a dream. And uh, when I, after that service that he was in, he said, I saw you in my dreams. He said, why are you here? And I said, I don't know, I, I just know that the Lord is saying something. He said, well, in that dream, your body was broken, but you were laying in your bed and robbing the gates of hell from your bed through your intercessions. And he released a mantle of intercession and fasting over me that day that has forever marked me and changed my life. Um, after Shortly after that, I read the Reese book for the first time, got deeply uh, encountered by the Lord.
0: I want to jump in just for a second. To talk about that part where you met Lou, you, <clears throat> excuse me, guys, she was in a, had just come out of being bedridden, um, had heart surgery, we had our, our new daughter, and guys, I was back and forth in Haiti, we were apart a tremendous amount um, of time during this because of just extreme obligations in both places and uh, it, it's really hard to be in another nation and your wife be bedridden and a lot of people didn't understand that but that's part of a call you have to hear from god there's not a right or or wrong the right answer is what god is saying in the moment but andrea was at a, a seemingly dry place um a stuck place, if you will, because we're going to talk about the dream that God gave her in just a bit, but she was stuck going to a conference and, and God met her there. God had set this up a long time before because Lou had had a dream and saw her in this, this dream. So you talk about God orchestrating things right there. And, and it was from that moment that Andrew and I've often looked back and I joke at her. I said, you know, because of the fasting and prayer mantle that was released, you destroyed our ministry. And that was absolutely true Um, It didn't technically destroy it, but it flipped everything in ministry that we had known. And we had been successful living as missionaries, planned hundreds of churches, but it flipped everything about ministry we had known. It flipped all of our relationships. And I often say God picked us up out of a, a certain place in the body of Christ and dropped us into a revival, awakening, and a flow of intercession. So... There's a whole lot more that that we're going to share in some future podcasts, but it was through that release and that activation that came through Lou of prayer, fasting, and intercession that God just began to open up tremendous amount of dreams to you. So do you want to speak into any of that process and God unlocking that in you?
1: Yes. So that first 40-day fast um, really began... Um, it, it was dreams and, and encounters with the Lord every single night. Um, I literally tell people, and this is how it felt like Jesus came and talked with me and sat on the couch with me every single night. After that, my dream life went to a whole nother level and I started dreaming regularly. And what I discovered is the more that I stewarded those dreams, as in I recorded them, I wrote them down, I prayed over them, um, they started to make a whole lot more sense and then I would get even further dreams. So it was unlocking a uh, revelation for me at, at a depth that I had never even knew existed. Um, in 2019, I had a very specific dream in January of that year. And it was like the Lord told me he had always spoke to me very um, symbolically. So my dreams were symbolic, but he said, now I'm going to speak literal and literally I can tell you the exact dream where that switched And from then forward, since 2019, most of the time, my dreams are very specific. They're very literal. Um, They're very in-depth. They're very detailed. And I dream, on average, probably three dreams every night now, um, which has been my life for the last several years. So.
0: Yeah. Uh, Guys, uh, Andrea and I get up each day, and, and most of the time, she's sharing with me about what God had shown her. And she has a database of dreams going back many, many years that's searchable. Um, but most of these have been private things and in intercession. Um, and even when they were shared, they were often shared privately with other leaders because it was very, very specific, specific things. Um, one of the keys as we we begin to transition towards this dream that she had, that right, had last night, one of the keys here is, Andrea was in a, in a stuck place. Our ministry was going well, but the model understanding that we had came out of was more traditional. Although we had fivefold ministry calls, I was an apostle, we were growing in that, but through a dry place, God brought forth a new connection, and there was an, a revelation that began to open up this whole new season of life for us. And I think that this dream that she had last night is going to be a catalyst to help some of you begin to transition out of a more traditional way of doing church. Now, I understand what I'm saying. That's a catchphrase, traditional way of doing church. We are the church, but we do things as the church. And then when we assemble, um, we can have more of a traditional approach to that or move into this new era that God is bringing the body of Christ into. And many of us are using language hubs and homes uh, where the, the ecclesia gathers and there's this more legislative, authoritative, five-fold team that is speaking out more over the regions and more over broader areas. And then in homes is where people are gathering and that real strong pastoral anointing is on, is, is moving and people are being developed. They're growing in the disciplines of the faith and they're learning relationships. So, Andrea, why don't you just go ahead and take us into the dream. And I think it'd be best if you just told the whole dream and then we come back and we break down the dream.
1: Okay. So this was last night and, uh, Mike and I, along with a team, were guests that were invited in to do a service inside a very traditional church. The building had bright red carpet. It was on the floors, but it went halfway up the walls and also had wood paneling above the carpet and very high ceiling. So it was just a very, very traditional church. But what happened is as soon as we got there, the service was just in absolute chaos. There was no order whatsoever. Um, The team that we took with us, which is important, included an apostolic worship leader, a five-fold pastor, Mike and I, and then a few other people. So the pastor of this church, he was an older gentleman, but he had a huge heart um, for his body, for Jesus, but he had lost control of what was happening in the service and in the church. So the apostolic worship leader that was with us, um, he was attempting to do worship, and he was also trying to run sound he was having multiple technical issues, though he could not get anything to work properly, including instruments, microphones, sound. Everything was in chaos. So after he finished, a person that we had brought with us on this team, who had just been through some major deliverance, um, this young lady had a great has a great call on her life, but she's not matured in it yet. So she, we had asked her to come up and share a brief testimony before I was. Scheduled to go up and speak. She was not supposed to minister. So she went up and instead of sharing the testimony, she tried to start giving a message. And again, it just completely derailed the service. Everything was back out of order. So after a few minutes, the pastor that we brought with us, she went up and politely but firmly stopped this young lady. She took back control of the service and then she got us back on schedule. She invited me to come up, introduce me, and I went up to speak. But I noticed that she immediately told this lady, I need you to meet me privately off to the side of the sanctuary. She was going to correct what had just happened. Um, she didn't hesitate or she didn't wait for that correction. So I was scheduled to minister. I went up and the worship leader that was with us had to give me three different microphones to use because not one of them was working properly all the time. So I'm trying to juggle these microphones. And then I realized that I don't even have my computer with my notes with me. I'd left it somewhere. And, and if you don't know me, I'm very organized when it comes to delivering a message, and I always have my notes with me. So this just totally was chaotic for me. Um, So I had my phone, and I'm trying to open my notes, and when I unlock my phone, like my folders and files, everything is just jumbled up, and I couldn't see anything that I had planned to share, and it was like the chaotic atmosphere in this service had literally caused me to lose my notes, my message, and and I couldn't even focus to share anything. Um, My mind went blank, and it was like I couldn't even remember the topic I was wanting to share on. So... I'm messing with my phone. I'm trying to lightheartedly introduce myself and and not act like I didn't have my stuff together. And immediately I made a joke. I look out over the congregation and I see this bright red carpet everywhere. And I contrasted how that bright red carpet was so different from what we have at our local body here at the well. Um, because our sanctuary has a black ceiling and a black wall. And it was just a major contrast. So I'm still attempting to find my notes I I finally start to share and this man stands up who was a member of the local congregation in this church. He comes straight up to the front right below me, right in front of the stage, and he's wearing this white robe with tassels and he starts doing this bizarre dance and he's speaking in tongues, singing in tongues. And, and I, I shut him down. I said, this is out of order. You need to stop. And he responded, well, this is how I pray for Israel. I said, I don't care. This is out of order. You need to stop now and go sit down, please. And it was very direct, very firm. And immediately he turns around and he just walks out. But this order was restored. And so the entire congregation literally begins to applaud and cheer that stop And I start to explain what it means to have healthy correction within the church and how to keep order, even though someone else may try to derail it. And the pastor of this church, the traditional pastor, he's just shocked and he's looking at me at what just happened and could not believe this just happened. So again, I go back to trying to deliver my message and I see the clock turns 12 p.m. on the dot. Almost all of the church that attended there stood up while I'm just starting to minister and they start to leave. And it was literally like a mass exodus. The pastor grabs one of the microphones from me and he's begging people, please don't go, please don't go, please stay. Um, but they were leaving. It was 12 p.m. They were done. Um, so they're leaving. So I, I finally, I just keep going and I start to deliver my message, which the title of the message was Being Unstuck. Uh, excuse me, Being Stuck. And I start talking on how to get unstuck. During times of transitions and those seasons where we're transitioning. So what happens, and this was part of my notes and my message in the dream, was when people get stuck, it leads to a lack of self-confidence and almost a victim mentality and the result is many leaders will kind of bow and they will let other things start to take over and it it turns to chaos and they lose the order inside the house of God. And so as a result, they're afraid to confront people. They're afraid to maintain order um, because they've become this victim. And so many people, when they hit that place, they they get tempted to turn back because the thing they knew before was more comfortable. And sometimes it was even easier but we can't turn back. We have to keep moving forward regardless of what it costs us. And sometimes it'll cost us everything. Um, So I'm delivering this message. Those were some of the highlights. And this older man who was an elder in the church, he stands up out of the pews, the traditional wooden pews. He comes up to the altar. He's weeping and he sits down on the stairs that are right in front of me. And the remaining members of the congregation, there weren't many, but those few came up and they joined him. And it was like, all of a sudden, the whole atmosphere shifted again, and it was not this traditional setting with a minister on stage above the people, but it was this intimate gathering where people were pouring their hearts out at the altars, and we were all sharing together, and I felt the shift, and so I continued to minister. It was the same message, but now uh, there was an intimacy. There was a family. There was a humility and a, a closeness that had happened Um with the, the leadership, the elder, the pastor of this church, and the remaining members that were left, and that was the end of it.
0: So, guys, I, <clears throat> I think this is a very, very significant dream for many of you guys. Many of you have been in more of a traditional setting, and and I want to define a traditional setting in in a contrast to more of a fivefold. Um, team ministry type of a setting. So when we're using the word traditional church or traditional setting, we're speaking more along the lines of a church that has a pastor, and the pastor kind of leads everything. And oftentimes that pastor will get Everything thrown on them, including the accusations, they try to carry everything. And if you look at the pastor that is in this setting, the one that is leading that local traditional church, he had a heart. He, it, it appeared that he had a heart. He wanted this church to come in but he had lost a lot of confidence. He, he wanted this church to transition, but he had lost confidence. And I think as many of you all are beginning this transition into what God is doing right now in this area in the body of Christ, Your confidence is being shaken because you're coming out of something that you knew well, but it wasn't being effective. And you're coming into something that you know God is moving, um, but you don't have all of that experience that many, you know, some of you all have had, you know, 10, 15, 20, 30 years of experience, but now God is shifting something and it's bringing forth an insecurity. So we're going to begin to break down just just each, each section here, and Andrea, I'm gonna kick us off. So it says that that we were invited in, we and you and the team that was being led there, you were invited into this traditional setting. And guys, I think there is a key there that is invitational. It is invitational. You didn't just go and walk into a traditional setting and try to force yourself in, but there was an invitation. So this speaks to me about um, some of those that may be in this traditional church setting, reaching out to those that have already made this transition um, and and are also in the midst of it, but maybe further down the road. I don't know that any of us has fully made this transition yet, but we're further along in that process. So some of you all, you may need to reach out to people that are not just using language, Uh, but people that have been building in a five-fold ministry team and invite them to come in. But I think this point two here is uh, when you were invited in, the service went into chaos. So, Andrea, talk to us a little bit about what you think on those point one and two there and the chaos after you arrived. Because to me it seems like, Maybe there wasn't chaos um, that was recognized before, but when you showed up, chaos began.
1: So um, for us, it was like we recognized this as chaos. The pastor had yielded, and this was like normal for him. Mm. So he was almost oblivious that we were calling this chaos because it had been so common, so normal for them that it was just accepted. And so it wasn't until we arrived that it was like, oh my goodness, this is chaos. He was clueless to that. Um, But to your point about we were invited in, the pastor had the heart of God to restore some form of order, which is why we were there in the first place. Um, So there was still something God was still speaking to him. He clearly loved the Lord. He was being led of the Lord. So I would speak to both groups here. Um, If you're someone who is farther along in this, be willing to reach out to those who haven't um, when they call. Don't just shut them down because they're different, but it is invitational, as you just said. And, And for those that are more in the traditional that feel the call to go in, don't be afraid to humble yourself and reach out to someone who may be very extreme from what you're used to. They may look different, talk different, act different, but you'll recognize the Holy Spirit at work within them and the fruits of their ministry.
0: When you talked about the pastor having a huge heart, but he had no control over what was happening, and you're not using control in the negative sense. He just really had no authority over what was happening. And while a pastor has authority in the fivefold, often the apostolic carries the greater level of authority, and to me, that speaks of, you know, being in that traditional setting that apostolic authority was removed, and in the absence of authority, the enemy will certainly step in and begin to um, establish his authority, and there, there was a term that you used there, an apostolic worship leader. And I want to speak into that because many of you guys are are, are fully familiar with prophetic worship, um, and you know with with the flow of prophecy and and prophetic song and things like that that lead us both into intimate settings, lead us into power encounters. It takes typically that local gathering that is happening and brings them into this prophetic flow. Now, I want to talk about apostolic worship leader. And it was several years ago, um, the first time that, that phrase came out of my mouth, I was meeting with a young man and, uh, uh I said, you know, many will try to label you as a prophetic worship leader. I said, but you carry an apostolic, you are an apostle that leads worship and it's going to look different. And what we have watched with, uh, this apostolic worship leader and Seth houses who I'm referencing, um, Uh, Seth, as an apostolic worship leader, is not just bringing us into a prophetic flow, but especially he and I flow together, and it is about decreeing. There's a lot of declarations going out over regions, a regional transformation. We move from this this local assembly and begin releasing that anointing and those declarations out over a region. So, uh, as we walk through this dream, there's some key things that I want to, to open up that may not pertain directly to the dream, but it's going to help you guys come to a, a greater understanding. So, Andrew, take us a little bit further in these next few points and some of your thoughts on it.
1: Yeah. So, I want to also contrast the five-fold pastor that we brought with us versus the traditional mm-hmm. pastor that was there. That's good. Because the greatest strength and the greatest weakness of a pastor is their compassion and heart for those that they're leading. It's the shepherd. That's what they do. So it can be a great strength, but it can also be a great weakness because if it's not balanced, um, they will get unbalanced in it and that compassion will overtake their ability to confront things. So the fivefold pastor that was with us had no problem confronting someone who she had been mentoring, who she had been a part of her deliverance, and she knew she had gotten out of order. So her heart was the same But she acted very differently, whereas the traditional pastor, he loved his people so much that he never confronted or corrected because he was almost, the confrontation, it felt like that was a conflict. So it was that, let me just love the people. Let me just shepherd them and not necessarily deal with that. And I think that that is absolutely taken over um, in a lot of churches where the pastor is doing everything. They're worn down. They're doing things they're not graced or called to do. And so as a result, they fall into this trap of a false compassion on people that lets anybody do everything, and then that Scripture gets pulled out. Well, one has this, one has that, and people almost take it in a perversion of there's no order in the house of God when God is a God of order. The first characteristic of God in scripture is God who is creative, who creates order from chaos in Genesis one. So you can't separate a God of order in the house of God with freedom. And that that compassion will almost lead into false compassion and it it gets out of control and no one is receiving the message clearly or properly at that point.
0: That that's really good when we we're talking about a five-fold team. We're talking about individuals that come together to form a team that is the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor and teacher. So as as a as an apostle I have that comes with gifts and it comes with levels of authority, but it also comes with weaknesses. It comes with blind spots because we see everything. I always talk about the grace of an apostle, the grace of a prophet, the grace of a pastor. And it's kind of like eyeglasses you put over your eyes. So you view the world around you through that grace gift of whatever it is in your life, if you're called as a fivefold leader. So, Therefore, I view the world very apostolically, but I, I cannot see it as a pastor. So, here at the Well of Miraville, we've been growing and maturing as a five fold ministry team. And we have our campus pastors, it's on our teams, Pastors Hope and James, our husband and wife team, and they carry a very distinctive anointing for that. But it does, while the pastor has great compassion to shepherd, it's not a weakness. There is an authority that is also on that grace. If you have a sheep that is running off, you can catch that sheep and you bring it back into the fold. There is an authority to bring it back into the fold but the authority is distinctive from that of an apostle. While there, there is that local, that the apostle carries a greater authority in, in a region. But anyway, learning how these operate together as a team is one of the greatest challenges that is facing the body of Christ right now, because we have many that can operate in their grace. But what does it look like to mutually submit to one another and operate as a team? Because at a, at a you may be in a certain setting, and the grace of the evangelist may be predominant in that setting for that moment. But then that grace has to yield to that of the teacher for a bit, and then that yields to that of the pastor, and then the prophet and the apostle. Um, they're not all on display at the same time, but when they come together, there there is a, a huge anointing that is released to mature the body of Christ. So, Andrea, take us on into these next sections in your dream.
1: Yeah. So, um, so we'll jump down. There was a lot of sound problems. And, and I think the point of that, that part of that, um, the apostolic worship leader that was with us can create sound with anything, but the chaos that was in that atmosphere had literally disrupted even his ability to do what he's normally gifted to do. So chaos can, and a lack of order can affect everything. Um, So I think that's the the main point of that. But I want to keep going here. Um, So the young lady who had been through deliverance, who was with us and was supposed to share her brief testimony, she went up and just completely derailed again by trying to minister. So first of all, the first issue is she was asked to share a testimony. Now, I know her heart was pure, And she thought that she was doing what she thought the Lord had called her to do, but she went beyond the parameters of being respectful for what she was asked to do. So there's a mutual respect, and especially um, we use the term a culture of honor in a a body and and within relationships. And so that just violates a relationship when someone asks you as a leader to do something and you go beyond what's asked um, that derails something that to me is almost um, dishonorable and, and it goes beyond what you were asked to do by a leader. So um, that was one thing. But then the second thing that made this a, a further derailment is she was very immature. Yes, she has a call. She has a great sto- personal story, but she is not mature in her gift at all and is, is still struggling with her own process right now. And so the, the thought of her ministering to a full body like this was completely out of alignment and it had to be stopped. And so that was the purpose is those things can be done in honor and in love without crushing someone without shaming them in front of the body, but it was dealt with privately. And that's the compassion of the fivefold pastor. She stopped it with that authority that you were talking about and said, no, this needs to stop. She brought the service back, but she immediately went and addressed Why this was wrong. Healthy correction inside a culture of honor can be done very directly, but in love. She didn't shame her. And I think that's another important important piece here. She didn't call her up in front of everyone and say, Look, she she was wrong and she did this and placed shame on her, but she privately pulled her aside, but she didn't hesitate and she didn't wait. And so when correction needs to come, um, no matter how we feel about it, we have to do it in love and in a culture of honor, and we cannot delay in correcting someone that needs to be corrected.
0: That is so good. When when this young lady that got up to share, she was asked to share that testimony. Guys, sometimes we feel like we want to preach or we want to teach or we want to give this this message, but the testimony, the power of testimony is one of the most important uh power gifts that God has given us because as you share your testimony, it builds faith in people. And then like her role in this was to share the testimony to build faith, to say, look what God did in me. He has delivered me. He has healed me. He is restoring me. And and she is further walking into the call of God on her life. But yet rather than do that to build faith, she wanted to bypass a process and, And what I'm witnessing with with many in this this shift in the body of Christ, they're wanting to teach, 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 teach. We need that, but we need the testimony of the journey. Because sometimes we will teach from a very healed, secured position, but people need to realize there was a journey to get here. And the testimony sets up the message. Hear what I'm saying? The testimony sets up the... The message It builds faith to receive what the next person who has further matured gets up to deliver the message. So guys, there is a progression that we must understand as we step into where God is bringing us. And much of that's going to be the release of testimony before a message. Many of you are ready to release your testimony, but you're not necessarily ready to teach the body of Christ in this season you got to understand it's going to take some humility for all of us to understand where we are. And what you can see in Andrea's dream is there was a team. There was a team of matured leaders. There was a team of progressing leaders. There was a team of others that had just came out of deliverance to carry the testimony of what God was doing. So, understanding as a team forms, what is your role and what is your parameters on a team? So, Andrew, I think this dream is very significant. Um, So take us a little bit deeper in this.
1: I want to highlight, you mentioned the process just then. Um, No one can bypass the process. As soon as you said that, that really jumped out to me because no matter where we are, none of us can bypass the process God has us on, so we that humility comes in when we say, "This is where I am. I'm okay with where I am. I'm progressing. I know where I'm going, but I'm not there yet." And it's okay to be where we are in that process.
0: And I want to I want to jump back in there because when when that fivefold pasture stopped this young lady from speaking a message she, that that actually took place. It appears in the dream publicly. She had to step up there and say, "Hey, it's not time for that." Um, come and, and meet me down here. So there was a grace on that pasture. It wasn't about berating this person. It wasn't about beating them up or humiliating them, but in confidence from a healed place, this pastor steps up and says, Hey, I need you to stop. I need you to come with me. And then she corrected her. Correction is a part of our Our walk as ministers of the gospel. And it's not about rebuking. It is about saying, Hey, I'm with you, but here's why that would be incorrect in that moment. I appreciate the zeal, but you have to submit that zeal to the parameters and jurisdiction that you've been blessed to operate in. So, yeah, I wanted to throw that in there. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, that's good. So, um, we'll continue on here. So, I was scheduled to minister. I go up. Uh, the worship leader gives me those three microphones um, and it had to do with one wasn't working. And so um, the the continuation of the chaos, even in the technology, um, Mike and I have learned from experience on the mission field, especially technology is a great gift. It's a great tool for the church, but if we don't have it, it's Okay. And so what I was sensing on that was it derailed even further because as someone who's always prepared to message with a message to minister, I have my notes, I have my things together. I'm very diligent about that in the natural, but the chaos that was that was given to me literally derailed the message further and it delayed it. So sometimes we get caught up in these tools. We get caught up in a performance. We get caught up in let's make it look like we have it all together. When, if that had happened in, in our context, we probably would have said, forget the sound, forget the microphone, just get up and share. So, um, it it caused a delay in the word that was going to be released. So, um, I'm going to jump down here a few more points. I want to get to that where the man stood up. Um, It it was like the pastor's body language when I looked at him, when the man stood up.
0: Tell us a, a what the part of the dream you're talking about, yes. the man that should recap that for us. So
1: the man that was wearing a white robe with tassels and he starts doing this bizarre dance and, but he came front and center right below the stage and he was praying in tongues.
0: And, and that happened right when you were about to give yes. a message, right? Okay. Correct.
1: Right. As I was starting to share, um, it was like, I remembered the message and I started to share and then he stood up. So, um, there are those times where, and, and the pastor, as I said earlier, I felt he had just accepted that these kind of interruptions were normal and he, and he wasn't taking the authority to do anything. So I immediately stopped it, shut him down. It was out of order, out of line. And to be honest, my discernment in the dream felt like this was more demonic than even Holy Spirit. But when I looked at the pastor and his shock, he had never confronted, nor had he stopped this before. It was like he was powerless, felt powerless to do something about it. And the man left immediately. Problem was solved. He left, and we could continue on. Um, but I think that the, the furthering of this was my explanation of healthy correction to the church. I literally paused and said, This is why I did what I just did. And as someone who, you know, we are leading, helping others step into this transition, as you mentioned earlier. Um, we have to explain why we do what we do at times, especially when it's foreign, because this pastor with his mouth wide open was shocked because it was like he didn't know he could do that. He didn't know how that could be done. So use that as teaching moments when you have to do things that are foreign as you're making these transitions, especially in a larger um, a body of people.
0: I want to jump in there. I think that is so important for uh, us to learn especially as people are shifting, people are shifting into a freer flow where everything is not controlled, but there's still a flow. There is still a sense of order in the service. Um, and, and sometimes Im, sometimes immature people will get out of flow, like the young lady, she went beyond where, where she was supposed to go and was corrected. But this person just took over. This person just just took over. And you may be in a setting to where you allow people to freely flow, but you, you must have the confidence and the authority. If someone begins to shift a flow and it is a release of a demonic anointing, you must be able to shut that down. It is absolutely crucial. I mean, in the churches, um, seven churches in the book of Revelation that is mentioned, they tolerated that one that was called Jezebel. That was the issue. Jezebel's going to be there, but you don't have to tolerate Jezebel. You don't have to shut, um, submit yourselves and go, well, this is just going to be okay. It's not okay. You are actually, if you recognize it's out of order, and you are one of the ministers that are designated in that assembly, To lead, you must lead. So I think, I mean, I think that's so important for us to learn. You have to have the confidence to stop something and not just let evil take over because it's always taken over in the past.
1: Correct. So we'll keep going here. The clock hits 12 right after that, and most of the remaining congregation stands up and leaves. The pastor starts begging them to stay, but it was literally like a mass exodus up the back of the sanctuary. Um, the encouragement that I see, so 12 p.m. here in our region and growing up, that means it's lunchtime, church ends right at 12, you don't go a minute over. Um, that is what that meant to me in that dream. But the pastor was willing to say, no, we're going to go outside of what's normal. We're going to stay. We're going to press through. We're going to continue. And his begging the people, you see the heart that he had. He wanted them to all step into this. But one of the greatest things I can tell people is when they make this transition, not everyone will go with you and that's okay. The pastor didn't shut down the service because most of the people left He let us keep going. And so that reality that not everyone has had the revelation you've had, not everyone will go with you. And as much as you want them to, you cannot violate their free will. You can't force them, but you also can't cower to try to keep them because if he had stopped and said, you know what, the only way I'm going to keep my congregation is if we stop at 12, he would not have stepped into what the Lord had for him.
0: Yeah, that's really good. Um, just practically speaking, you know, here at the well, our, we start prayer at 9.30. We'll spend an hour or so in prayer, and then service generally kicks off at 10.30, a very traditional time setting for us. Have no problem with that. Um, it's not the holy Sunday morning. If it was on Friday, I mean, it doesn't matter when, when we're gathering, but we typically would pray for an hour, 9.30 to 10.30, start our service at 10.30, and on average... I would say we're out 1230 or one now guys. Sometimes we have services that'll go to one thirty. We have actually gone into 2 PM before, um, So I don't want to hold people hostage. What we will do, we'll say, hey, guys, we have no problem. If you need to go, we're not going to look at you and say, hey, you're not honoring God. Um, You're traditional. We're not going to start rebuking you. We say, guys, if you need to go, you are blessed to go. It's not a problem because we don't want to hold people hostage. Maybe you've been leading a church that runs from, you know, 1030 to 12 or whatever, and you have this general fixed time. Just let your people know. It's not about saying, well, they're just weak and won't go on. If you have trained them for an hour and a half service um, and then you just want to throw a three hour on them, they're probably going to get upset with you, just practically speaking. So you can do this in honor. And it's not about how long. It's about being free. It's about being free. So we will say, hey, guys, if you need to go, you are blessed. Go. Uh, for those of you that want to hang in here, we're going to press on for a bit. And, guys, we've done three, four, five-hour services, and the place just remain filled but we don't just start berating people if they do need to go but this was about breaking demonic control it's what it feels like when she shared the dream with me it's about breaking that demonic control that that expectation of human wisdom that is being placed on the people so go ahead andrew
1: yes that that's exactly what it felt like and 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 for the pastor he had cowered to it in the past so that that's another big part of You know, if we're called to lead, we have to lead. And so we do that in love and honor. But um, after this mass exodus is when I finally actually started giving the message and I read the title was being stuck. And so I started talking about how to get unstuck, especially during times of transitions, when you're moving from one place to another, how do you not get stuck in between the two? Um, and, And I'll reiterate part of the notes from the message that I shared in that dream What happens oftentimes um, when you feel stuck, you start to lose your self-confidence and almost a victim mentality takes over. And as a result, many leaders will not deal with the chaos, but they just allow those things to take over, which had happened here. Um, It was normal for that guy to do those weird dances and those weird tongues and nobody stopped him. So as a result, what happens is um, the leaders, the pastors will get, they're, they're afraid to confront Um, some of these things that are out of order and maintain order in the house of God. And, and sometimes it's even more tempting to say, you know what, let's just quit going forward. Let's get unstunk and go backwards because that's what's comfortable. That's even maybe what's easier, Um, you know, but we have to keep moving forward and obey what God is calling us to step into whatever that is. It may not be a full, completely different expression of of what he's wanting to do in this season. But the next step and what God is calling us to step into, that's what we have to do. That is the obedience that we have to walk in.
0: I want you to look at the warfare from the moment you were invited in with the team. All of that battle, the warfare with the sound, the warfare with, um, you know, uh, the multiple microphones, the warfare with um, the lady that was trying to give a different message. It wasn't the message to be spoken. She was supposed to give a testimony. Then you have the warfare, this guy jumping up and, and, dressed like an Israeli rabbi trying to give this message in tongues because that's how he's always done it. Then you have the the shock of the pastor, all of this warfare. Then you begin to actually give the message, your computer's gone, your notes are jacked up, you can't find everything. And then after all of the warfare, finally the message comes out in this dream and the title of it is Being Stuck and How to Overcome being stuck, laying down the self-confidence and the victim mentality, overcoming the chaos of not dealing with people out of order. Guys, all of those things have to be dealt with. We must be able to have healthy confrontation, correction, covering each other's weaknesses um, to bring people forward. I've often said the epitome of a spirit of religion is to get you to compromise, to stay where you are so you will not move forward. And when Jesus was talking about he's about to go to Jerusalem and be crucified at the hands of the elders, that's where Peter stands up and Satan speaks through him, saying, Never, Lord, not so is not going to happen to you. Um, and and Jesus responded as he did, but then he went on to say, You have in think you have in mind the, the the things that matter to man, not the things of the spirit. And I'm paraphrasing there. But basically, the enemy will come to you and get you to compromise. If you start to advance and the warfare and the chaos starts, it is like the enemy says, well... You just compromise and stay where you are, and the chaos will subside. And that is appeasing the works of the enemy. The enemy is saying, hey, I won't bother you if you won't advance. That's what people do in... in uh, animistic cultures when they're giving offerings to the ancestors or to evil spirits they're saying hey i'll give you part of my food that i need to live if you won't come and harass me well we're oftentimes in a sense saying hey i'll just stay stuck in this place if it it will alleviate the chaos but guys god is calling you and charging you to press on in this season to learn in this season, to begin to develop relationships with five-fold leaders and other teams that can help you progress because He is wanting you free. So, Andrea, thanks for sharing this dream. Do you have any final words that you want to say before we wrap up?
1: Um, Yeah, just this last piece here. um, After all of that happened, after the breakthrough with that warfare The elder that came up, and there's only a few people left in the church at this point, he got out of the pew, he came to the front, he got to the altar, and he was weeping. And he positioned himself in humility by sitting at my feet to receive the message that was coming out. And so during these times, there will be those who stay with you. There will be those who remain. Um, and it caused that, that heart shift. And all of a sudden the atmosphere went from a performance and a traditional, a minister, a pastor on stage, doing everything to a place of intimacy, a place of fellowship, um, And it changed everything. People came out of the pews, they went to the altars, and it was such a beautiful picture of what I think the Lord is doing in this season in much of the body of Christ to call us off the stage, to call us down with people together, doing life together, not concerned about the numbers in the pews, not concerned about a machine, not concerned about, um, you know, not confronting things, but keeping order in the house of God and having a time of intimacy and a posture of humility. Such a beautiful picture.
0: Yeah, this last part of the dream, after the message was given about becoming unstuck, this elder moves forward. The congregation moves forward. Guys, there had been a division taking place in that church in this dream. At 12 o'clock, most of them walked out, but there was a remnant that remained that had ears that had a heart, and they moved forward to the front in the altar. An altar is a place of humility. It is a place of humbling yourself before God. And then the last thing that she said about the dream, this became an intimate time. And that's where God is bringing us out of this this systematic way that church has been done, bringing us into a time of intimacy with Him. It's not about the stage. It's not about the sound system. It's not about perfection. But it is about a heart posture before the Lord that says, I have not gone this way before, Holy Spirit teach me so guys we've gone a long time today God bless you make sure you share this with others andrea thank you for being here going to have a good time in the apostolic future Apostolic perspectives with your host Mike Brewer we hope that you are blessed by listening and we encourage you to check us out on social media at facebook.com slash apostolic perspectives be sure to subscribe to the podcast to keep up with all of the latest episodes